Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Harvesting Nature Wild Fish and Game Podcast. This is Corey, and I am here with a few of my friends again in northwestern Pennsylvania, and we are talking about turkey hunting tonight, because here in a couple weeks it is going to open in Pennsylvania, and I, I believe it's open in other parts of the country right now. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners about our Adventures for Food podcast. It comes out every other Sunday, and if you have a story, please email us at what's cooking at harvestingnature.com, and we'll get you on the show to tell your story. Uh, Also, join our Facebook community page. It is called the Wild Fish and Game Community. The link will be in the show notes. So today's episode is sponsored by Allen Company. They were nice enough to send us some gear, some of their Shocker Series gear for us to use for this turkey season. So if you go to buyallen.com and use coupon code HARVEST10, you'll get 10% off your order. So thank you, everybody at Allen Company. And tonight, I have Tyler, Jeremy, and Tony. Uh, You may recognize them from our Mountain Men of Pennsylvania episode. We'll start off with each of them telling a little bit about themselves in terms of turkey hunting, what you've been up to, getting ready for the season and whatnot. So, Jeremy, do you want to go first? Uh, My name's Jeremy Criswell. Um... In terms of this season, I haven't done a whole lot yet. I've been out kind of scouting. I've been doing a lot of shed hunting, so I've been kind of scouting for turkeys uh, while I'm doing that. Heard a couple birds the other day, goblin going crazy, so that was pretty exciting. Um, 
I don't know. I've been kind of taking a, a little bit easy on turkeys this year. I've uh, been focusing a lot on shed hunting this year, but uh, I'm sure I'll get after it here once the season rolls around. I'm anxious to take my uh, son out a little bit, maybe get him out in the youth season. He's going to be seven. Well, he is seven. He'll be eight this year. So he's still pretty young, but I want to get him out there and get him, hopefully get a bird, maybe get, you know, coming in and get him exposed to it anyhow. But that's about it for me. So you've had quite a bit of success turkey hunting in the in, past season. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've grown up turkey hunting. I've been hunting turkey since I was 12. Um, fortunate my dad got me into it real early. Even before I could hunt, we were always going out and, I mean, that was his passion was turkey hunting. So we'd go out and there was a state, I think it was a state park down in Allegheny County, Mingo Park, and we they had birds everywhere and we'd go and just mess around with them and call them and split up flocks and call them back in and so yeah we did a lot of that that was in the 90s and there was a lot of turkeys then and um yeah up here in warren county since i moved here i've killed quite a few birds last couple of years i've killed a, quite a few birds so you got two last year two last year and then one the year before so yeah tony hey my name is tony finelli also a big turkey hunter so like jeremy my dad got me into it when I was young. I can remember going out before I was old enough to hunt and sitting there. I actually remember my dad taking me and my sisters out together. I remember my first time my dad ever calling some birds in and I could hear them coming in and I was reaching down with my hands with my gloves off and signaling to my dad how many, there was two different birds and uh, I ended up birds see my hands and <laughs> spooked off. So learned from uh, maybe 10 years old that you need to be real still and uh, be fully camoed up. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, I've been chasing turkeys for, I guess, 20 years now. So 25 years. Uh, like Jeremy, I've got a young son, uh, Joey, and he's uh, he's had some good success in the youth season in PA. He's, uh, he's going to be uh, 10 this year, and I've been able to get him a bird the last two years. Um with the uh, youth season is a pretty cool opportunity. You can get out there a week earlier than everybody else. So he missed one that year. With, he did. I mean, he, he's too. had three opportunities <laughs> in three years. So he's, uh, he's spoiled to death. I think it's pretty cool with the different youth seasons that, uh, the different, you know, States have now in Pennsylvania, especially with the, there's no minimum age. So, um, yeah, he's had a lot of great experiences at a young age and, I think it's uh it's been enough to get them hooked. So, looking forward to going out here. Uh, it's actually two weeks away Saturday, so I'm gonna need to get out and do some scouting. So, I feel like uh, you know, you're if you're still a few weeks out and you haven't done any scouting or done a little bit of scouting, it's actually probably not a bad thing because I feel like turkeys are still kind of moving around a little bit. And yeah. So, um, but I think I would say you know within a week or two of season, then it's a good idea to, you know, get out ahead of time and start looking. So I'm, I'm hoping to do that soon. That's about it. So Tyler, how can I follow these two? I mean, <laughs> so if you remember from the last podcast, I, I've, uh, I used to hunt and I haven't done it for probably 10 years. These guys keep trying to coax me into going. So maybe one of these years I'll go with them. Um, this will be the year. 
Make it the year. <laughs> Make gonna, it the year. I'm going to guess it's probably not going to be the year. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to be the year per our conversation earlier. Yeah. Uh, Tyler. Got his fifth child on the way. Yeah. So. Um, maybe next year. Maybe next year. We'll see. <laughs> but turkey hunting was never really my grandfather's thing, so we never really went. So I went one time with a friend of mine, and I learned pretty quick he didn't really know what he was doing because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't see any birds or anything. So. Yeah, I got to go with one of you guys that actually know what you're doing. Yeah, we'd like to have you. Don't go with me. I don't know what the I'm doing. The best part about turkey hunting is you can get out. I mean, the, it gets light at 530. I mean, shooting hours might be 545, 6 o'clock at the beginning of the season. But by the end of the season, it's probably 530 or even earlier. So Yeah, and the weather's a lot nicer, too. Lot, the weather yeah. is a lot nicer. And, uh, I mean, you can end up shooting a bird coming home and being being home before the wife and the kids wake up even so yeah. yeah now you're tired the rest of the day and you might have to take a nap which will make the wife happy but <laughs> back before i had kids i'd go out shoot a bird and still go to work That's like you probably I mean, go to work yeah, I, still, yeah. I could still make it to work on time Definitely yeah do that. I've, I've done that a few times as long as you're not yeah. not as long as you don't go too far away right yeah yep. yeah i wouldn't have much time but enough time that one flew no, it's amazing. Out. Like I, I think that's one of my favorite parts about turkey hunting is, like I don't know, you get into a pattern in wintertime. I think at least I do, where I, you know, sleep in on the weekends and uh, kind of get a little bit, I don't know, lazy, but yeah, like not being out there in the. It wore on you last season though. It did because you were out pretty much the whole season. Didn't get one until the end of the season. Yeah, I got pretty obsessive, so. Yeah, I... Uh, so you waited till last day, didn't you? It was like about the 25th. Yeah. So I missed two turkeys. And uh, yeah, on the 25th, I finally finally connected. But I don't think I might have missed one or two days the whole season. So All those no. early mornings start to add they up. They do. They, it's a grind. I mean, but I think it's a, it's definitely one of the things with turkey hunting too, though, is it's all about persistence. So... The more opportunities you have, the and the more I guess the more times you go more out, hours spent out. Yep, more hours spent out. It's the the one thing that you <clears throat> taught me or told me to do, which which helped was that in Pennsylvania we can't hunt on Sundays. So the season opens on a Saturday, and then the second day you can't hunt. It's a Sunday, and and you said Tony, you said that go out scout that day because nobody else is going to be out. Everybody's yep you know tired re- yeah resting up from the day before so i went out and i located birds that morning we roosted them that night and then monday, monday morning. morning we found them and i i missed but <laughs> yeah. we found them yeah. had your opportunity yeah had, oh. did everything right except make a good shot but something my dad would always do like my dad was always out on the sundays so he'd let me sleep in usually and then he'd come back home and tell me oh i heard a bird here heard a bird there and it always would lead to a good monday morning hunt so last year wasn't it was an exceptional year because of the circumstances i mean obviously we had covid last yep. year and i mean that was you know i'm not saying that was a good thing but in terms of turkey hunting that gave me so much more opportunity to be out there because i didn't have to be a, at work as early i'm a teacher and we were doing online so i could i could tweak my schedule so i was out there I don't know. I was out there probably in February. I think I started early, like March or something. I would ride my bike and mountain and scouting then. But yeah, I mean, I was out there a lot last season. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's one of the reasons why. I, I mean, we, you too. were out with me riding yeah. riding your mountain or riding your bike too. We want to talk about all, all aspects of turkey hunting tonight, from scouting and prepping for the season to different strategies and setting up on turkeys, calling necessary equipment, and then hopefully we can have time to touch on a few few of our favorite recipes. But Tony, I know you wanted to talk about a little bit of turkey biology and 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 stuff so i'll let you uh so i think it's important to understand for you know beginners and people that don't know a lot about the biology of the turkeys is you're actually trying to reverse nature so in in nature a gobbler is going to gobble and the hens are going to come to the gobbler so when you're out there you're trying to sound like a hen primarily um i mean there is some certain circumstances or some people that might try to call and sound like a jake or uh, do some gobble calls but for the most part you're trying to sound like a hen and you're trying to convince that gobbler to come to you so um it sounds pretty easy i mean a lot of people that have seen turkeys in uh i guess more populated areas like cities i mean my sister sends me these pictures of wild turkeys that are in the boston area and they're just like people's pecking at people's doors (laughs) and like you know but we get these you know if you're in a rural area and uh you know you're not hunting them inside city limits (laughs) turkeys can be pretty difficult um so you know i guess it's just important to understand that you know you're trying to convince that gobbler to come to you so you know the easiest way for that to happen is when there isn't any hens so a lot of times right off the bat in the morning um it'll be a gobbler roosted with multiple hens and it doesn't matter what you do uh you know calling wise uh, that bird's going to come down out of the roost and get with those hens and a lot of times those hens will be competitive and if you know if you sound like a hot sassy hen they're gonna kind of lead him away from you i've had that happen lots of times so um but as the morning goes on and that gobbler breeds those hens then they're going to go to nest and so when they go to nest and like pennsylvania you can hunt until noon for the first two weeks of the season and then um, the last two weeks of the season you can hunt till five when those hens go to nest that's a great opportunity to be out in the woods because you might catch that gobbler without a hen and if he doesn't have a hen um you know and you don't come right to him when he gobbles he's gonna he's gonna come to you so um your your percentages of finding a bird and getting him to gobble um you know they do most of the gobbling on the roost in the morning and then shortly after they come out of the roost and so i mean there's exceptions to all this but in general you're gonna hear a lot of gobbling on the roost you're gonna, gonna hear a lot of gobbling in the first half hour after that you're not gonna hear much you're not gonna hear much but then it it'll often pick up and that's yep i mean mean, your your odds go dramatic like if you are out in the morning and you have the ability to hunt all morning that's that's the challenge we're talking about with work right like you know a lot of times what happen is you'll go out you'll hear a bird he'll gobble good on the roost he'll come down he'll gobble you know for maybe a half an hour and be with hens and he just won't come in he's just going to stick with those hens and and then he'll shut up and maybe for a half an hour, maybe for an hour, maybe for two hours, it's just all dependent. But 
if you got to go to work, you're kind of in trouble, then you got to go to work, right? But if you have an opportunity where it's on a weekend, if you can stick with it and be patient, um, cover ground. I mean, and just try to call and and try to get a bird to gobble. Um, one, one thing too, like if you're with kids, I know my dad used to do this all the time. We'd go get breakfast. Yeah. Like we would seriously, we'd leave. I mean, it was different, a little bit different because we were hunting smaller territory. It wasn't like up here where you're out, you know, way out in the woods. But if you're with kids, go get breakfast, go get pancakes, you know. And yep. that's what he used to do with me. He'd take me to breakfast and then we'd go back out. And oftentimes when we went back out, that's when we were in having birds success. and having yep. success. Yep. Hot they, tip. Yeah. yeah. Go to breakfast. Go to breakfast. Yeah. I mean, there was this- uh, Get a remember, big stack. I can't remember if this is somebody that told me this or if it was an article, but I remember like there was this turkey biologist and that was like one of his things is like he wouldn't hunt turkeys first thing in the morning. Like he was, you know, believer in just, he would go out at like 10 o'clock and, and hunt. And so, you know, you're not going to hear as many birds at that point, but the ones you do hear, your, your odds are- dramatically increased that that yeah. bird's going to come in like, and it'll happen quick though we'll yeah. fire up real quick like, and they're coming you, you might yeah. just hear one gobble and all that's yep. it that's all it takes is and you make a couple calls and which that's a segue you. into like another topic is maybe i don't know if we want to cover that now but you know how much to call and so you know if you're if you're gonna you know it's uh it's almost like an ego thing when you call and a bird gobbles it's like oh yeah i made a good call you know but you can almost work against yourself by calling too much. Not almost. You can definitely work against yourself because the more you call, the more that that gobbler's expecting that you're going to come to him. Mm-hmm. And so I've had it happen before where I'll have a bird that's that's coming my way and I, you know, get a little overconfident and, you know, you get that. And... You just get that uh, feedback, right? Because it's yeah, like love, you call. Love getting that like, constant oh, feedback. Awesome. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like you hear that bird gobble. I'm like, all right. Know, but the uh, gobbler's also thinking like hey she's gonna come to me exactly you know? so yep. then it just goes the opposite direction and and the more you call the more that they can pinpoint your location which you know gobblers if you ever look at a turkey they don't even have an external i mean they do have an external ear opening but they don't have an ear like the way that we have an ear right and so but it's amazing how a bird with a little head like that and a little tiny ear with some hairs covering it the directional hearing that they have that's that's why they're always turning, turning their, head their head is that's how they pinpoint yep and it but it's incredible how they can i mean people will say like if you dug a hole in the ground and called out of that hole you know turkey can walk right over and you know look down at that hole you know from you know you call one time from 150 yards away and that bird would walk right over and look down that hole i believe it i mean it's it's pretty incredible. So, but the more you call, the more they know exactly where you are, and the more that they're looking for you. You got a potential for them to look look for you to come to them. So, and they have great eyesight. I was doing some research on their eyesight. Like, what do humans have? Like, twenty twenty. Well, as far as like the rods and cones, like we have, oh. like, you know, single rods and like, but they have like double. They have like two double cones. Like the they have significantly better eyesight than than humans do. So they they can pick out any movement, yeah, anything that looks funny. It's like the movement. I mean, as soon as they yeah. just any little and and just really small movements too. I know I've gotten busted out of a tree stand a couple of times. Oh, you know, I know. Like I, being a, in archery season, I've had know. incredible 
I had a bird. I was out on a hunt in Illinois, and I was in a tree stand, and I had a fall turkey tag, and the outfitter told me, yeah, I've been seeing, you know, guys have been seeing some gobblers in here, so, you know, just be aware and be ready. And I remember I heard a bird. I heard some scratching. I didn't move any of my body. I just twisted my head to the right, and I had one of these birds at, like, 100 yards pick me off out yeah. of the tree like nothing. I mean, I it's it's yeah. it's amazing. It's like, are you kidding yes. me? Like, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it can be very frustrating. But yeah, I think they're they're looking for. I just saw this article here recently that the number one killer of hen. They did a study in Pennsylvania on uh, it was uh, it was bobcats. Oh, okay. So the number one thing that got turkeys in Pennsylvania was uh, was bobcats. They did this adult hen study, and there was like forty deaths. But next to a bobcat between owls and hawks kill a tremendous amount it was like if you added the owls and the hawks and other it was like other avian predators that they couldn't identify what killed it if you added those three up that would exceed the bobcat by far so i mean other birds are coming at these turkeys all the time so they always have to be looking on the lookout so go a little bit more into into calling because you have a you say here take yeah. his temperature. So yeah, so I, I would say for like, you know, on the roost, that that's another thing too. Like on the roost, the more you call, generally the more all you're really gonna do is that bird's just gonna stay up there on the roost. Gonna sit there in a roost. And he's and just gonna wait. He's gonna gobble and gobble and gobble and gobble and wait for you to come over there so he can see you to fly down. So, I mean, I think generally like less is more, especially on the roost. So. Maybe you want to, uh, you, I think it's a good idea to let them know you're there, uh, but something really soft Tree and helps. maybe just one or two calls, maybe three, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard. Like I said, I mean, when you, when that bird gobbles at you, it's, uh, it's hard to restrain yourself. As soon as but. I'm convinced <laughs> that he's heard me, like I'm just making like real soft tree yelps. And if I think that he's heard me, then I'm shutting Done. up until he's on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. It, you want to call a lot because that bird that we had up here on the on the farm up the road it was just hammering all like con like every two seconds it yeah. was just hammering and that, you know you just want to call back and have them call you know answer your calls but and then so like jeremy i know you you carry a wing mm-hmm. so like you like to maybe like if you hear him fly down or, or maybe like right before you think he's gonna fly down some guys will like you know, take beat a, that wing, beat off that wing off the tree. Off my lap, you yeah. know, kind of sound s- like a bird flying down. Simulate a hen that just popped down out of the roost. So, I mean, uh, you can do a fly down cackle. So usually, when the turkeys fly down, they, they they'll cackle. Um, and you could try doing that. Um, I don't know. I'm not convinced whether or not it's necessary, but um, so there's there's different types of calls, both in the the what you're saying with the call and the actual mechanism you're using the call so there's friction calls like pot calls push button box calls and then you have your diaphragm like your mouth calls mouth i like mouth calls they're cheap and i practice to and from work because my wife would kill me if i practice in the house yeah so it's everybody's wife but i've never i've never tried pot calls i have a box call i have a push button call but i don't i take them with me but i don't really use them we should we should start trying to 
especially that box call. I feel like you should. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, sometimes too, it's like it's just a different pitch can get a bird going, or it's a uh, almost like a shock, you know. Yeah. Like so, turkeys call like shock gobbling, and so sometimes I think with a mouth call, with a mouth call, it's uh, I think it can be very realistic, but it doesn't have that uh, that loud shock kind of effect or that pitch. Sometimes it doesn't carry as doesn't as carry well in the wind yeah. too. Yep. some of those other calls, I feel like sometimes carry a little bit better or or later in the season too when you get start getting leaves on the trees it seems like the sound doesn't carry as good so that's another time um but you carry a lot of calls with you i don't you know i honestly like i don't know i feel like when i first started turkey hunting i uh i used to use box calls and push buttons and you know slate calls i use all kinds of different calls but i, I think i don't know at least at this point like i've sort of less is more for me i just less stuff to carry and less stuff i just try to be so i can you know get up and down the hills quicker and easier and i think from my hunting anyway more times it's been about strategy and about my setup like where i chose to set up and how much i chose to call and more more so than the actual call itself like and 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 more so what what's the bird like? Does he have a hen? Does he not have hens? Um, it just, to me, it hasn't come into play as much over the years where it's been, you know, I think you get suckered in a little bit, like to the marketing of different calls and you can think like, oh man, I got to have that slate or I got to have that box call or whatever. And, and, and they'll work good. And I mean, and a lot of guys too, like I know guys that have killed tons of birds with push buttons and box calls and, I got a buddy that just cannot run a mouth call. Like he has a gag reflex and he just can't do it. And he's killed more turkeys than anybody I've known. I mean, he could just, I mean, he goes to Massachusetts every year and kills two birds and then kills two birds in New York. And I mean, probably 95% of the years he's, he's getting four birds a year and doesn't ever run a mouth call. So it's, uh, I just like the hands-free aspect of a mouth call. I can be loud, I can be soft, I can pretty much make all the sounds a turkey's gonna make and so on that on that note, what what are the different types of sounds that you guys like to use? Uh, I, I do use box calls quite a bit. But I mean like the But no, I mean on a box call I'm cutting. Like loud, aggressive cutting, like sometimes just a, almost like a shock effect, just trying to get that bird to gobble. So if I'm trying to locate birds, I'll just take that box and just pop, pop. You know, I'm just running it hard and loud and just trying to get something fired up. Um, mouth calls, you know, just yelps, um, some cutting. Do you, do you purr? Do you try to purr at all? I don't on a mouth call. I, I will purr on a slate or a glass call, um, but not that often. I mean, if I, if, a, if I think a turkey's close enough that I would need to purr to it, it's, it's, it's within already, range you shoot, shoot, shoot him in the face know, anyway so i'm not doing a lot of purring usually yeah some clucks here and there i'd say mostly yelps cutting clucks at least in the spring and yeah some cackling and yeah. cutting and yeah, just trying to get on, trying yeah. to get a bird excited so and i guess another part of it too we didn't talk about this yet too another like factor is how much pressure you know like if you happen to be in an area where there's a lot of pressure 
like it can be make things a lot more difficult versus if you were able to find an area for whatever reason like where there isn't a lot of pressure or you're able to get off the road farther than everybody else or whatever it is like that's that the can, goal of the mountain bikes get back in there that, yeah. that can help tremendously too like unpressured birds can make you seem really smart i mean birds that haven't been hunted a lot they're uh you know they're going to be more susceptible than a bird they have their guard down yeah exactly so, so can you can you can they tell like if you don't do a call right will that just like will they just turn around and go the other way are they picky about that I think to a point. I mean, I've heard some really bad calls out in the, <laughs> out in the woods yeah. that but I could easily heard, say yeah. there's no way that's a turkey. a turkey. But yeah. I think you were just make some mistakes. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've heard turkeys where you know I'm like, yeah. there's no way that's a real turkey. That's a yeah. guy, and it's yeah. a turkey. You know, so as long as it's passable. Yeah. 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 I mean, and you you'd be shocked at some of the noises that turkeys actually make i've heard turkeys that sound like bicycle horns before like yeah. you know like jakes and stuff oh yeah jakes yeah. are sound oh, ridiculous yeah. so i mean you never know there's been a lot of times where i've been fooled by real turkeys you know thinking Absolutely. like oh man that's a guy yeah. he's two guys calling back and forth <laughs> to each other Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. So, we're in the preseason right now, and we're each doing our little bit to scout. Jeremy, you like to get the mountain bike and get back in that's far and, and listen. But really is that is, is that basically the what's I guess what the best strategy to take when I just when like the mountain bike because I can cover way more ground and way faster. So you're so I'm you're just, going back wherever the the. This gated time, roads yeah, or whatever. Yeah, this time of year I'm looking for a gated road that's keeping people from, you know, they're going to have to walk back or they're going to have to ride a mountain bike. And I don't see too many people that are riding mountain bikes. So I'm getting back there and I'm just, you know, early in the morning, I'm just calling off, you know, ridges and off points and just hoping to hear birds. If I don't hear anything, I hop back on the bike and, and just keep going. keep going and just till Co- I hear birds and cover, cover, cover a much- good couple of miles on the mountain bike makes it so much faster so that's the main thing you're looking for uh, listening for looking for is hearing the birds gobbling knowing that that something's in I that area know something's in that area something's roosting in those that site sometimes you know in the spring the sites are you can hear a bird from a real long ways like early in the season before the leaves get on the trees like right yeah, right now you, you could hear a bird from i don't know four or five hundred i'm sure even more than that if oh, it's yeah. from ridge to ridge so yeah, I mean, if you can get out on the, I mean, where we're at, we're kind of in a, an area, an interesting area from the perspective that there's some agriculture and some areas where you'll have some fields and things where, and then we have some big woods too. And so um, the big woods can be tough because it can be, I don't know, it seems like it could be spotty, like 
there could be birds there and, and it seems uh, like they feel can like move, they move. move a lot they move too. a lot yeah so, so that's where it, the mountain bike helps out it's yep. just trying to locate those birds i feel like whenever you're hunting agricultural areas and things that are broken up more those roof sites are maybe a little bit more predictable yeah. yep. you're going to use them a lot more yes. yep. and it seems like i don't know it just seems like in our area specifically like we were just talking about how like populations seem like when we were we both had this like similar experience when we were growing up in the the late 90s it just seemed like there was a lot of turkeys like my first season i ever hunted i missed two birds and then i killed a bird on the last day and kind of a theme here with me (laughs) (laughs) but uh i mean to have three opportunities in one season was like crazy for a 12 year old you know i mean it's tough to get a 12 year old three opportunities right so um but it just seemed like there were just that kind of numbers all over the place and yeah, well, I we, think the '90s were the good old days. Yeah, for turkey hunting. Yeah, we found some charts online, like with Pennsylvania populations, and that it wasn't just like one of those things where you remember it to be a certain way. It actually, no, like, yeah, if really you look was. at it, that's what it showed that the populations were definitely the highest then. What's getting them? Coyotes and coy- well, all those predators. Yeah, it's funny that you said bobcats because yeah. I've get, I'm getting a lot of bobcats Cats on, on my camera. Trail. Me too. Yeah. I'm getting fishers on my trail camera, both, both And you got to remember, too, I mean, it's there's other predators, too, like even just raccoons and porcupine. I mean, if you think about all the things that can get a turkey, because they're not just getting the turkey itself, they're getting the nests. Yeah, they're know? ground nesting so, birds. Yep. They're pretty susceptible. So they have a lot of a lot of predators. They even had, uh, they, they traced one of the, that study I was telling you about with the bobcats as the number one. There was even a... Um, a black bear killed one, which I was like really surprised at. I'm thinking like, holy cow, how could a bear catch a turkey? But I mean, Didn't pretty it. crazy. So going back to the to locating the birds, you're when you're locating them, you're just you're just getting them the shot cobble. You're using like an alcohol. I'm using an alcohol. Yeah, I can do an alcohol on my hands. That's mostly what I'm using. Yeah. I don't. I, ever hardly run turkey calls for, for just locating no no sense in letting them know yeah letting yeah. them hear them no. i think my dad used crow calls i have an, an owl call because i can't do it by my hand but i don't it's not loud enough i can't yeah my I hands i can get it real loud and it just seems to work the best for me i've used crow calls in the past but I, it seems like i haven't lately i don't really know why i just i think the alcohol works good enough so just use that don't care and then anything. We were talking about like on the beforehand and we discussed about too is like, so then you hear them on the roost and then how close do you want to get, right? So you want to get right up on top of them or do you want to... Depends on whether I know. If I know they're in there, if I roosted them the night before, I'm trying to get close. Like I'm trying to... That's an advantage. That's something we didn't talk about too is doing the evening before trying to roost them. So yeah, definitely. If If you're able to get out the night before and and hear them and you know right where they flew up then i'm trying to get a huge advantage as i can yeah that's what we did last year we we went out the that sunday night and we found right where they were at or had a general idea and then monday morning we snuck right in and i i actually watched them fly out of the tree right on our side of the hill i mean they were almost within range coming off the roost Yep, and so if you have a <clears throat> if you have the ability to get out the night before, and uh, you know if you, if you 
so you've scouted, you've heard turkeys preseason, you know they're in that general area, and you can go out the night before and understand where they are beforehand. It's just so w- saves when, time in the morning. And w- when you say the night before, what's like, and you don't want to get out there too early because you want to get them while they're already roosted. Yeah. And you don't want to be out there too late because it's they're done it's, gobbling, they're, they're right? Not, yeah, yeah, you might only get a couple gobbles. I mean, it, and sometimes a bird. Uh, sometimes it'll be one. It may be one. It'll be one. Like I mean, I've had times where I've been out. It the, doesn't like, always work the night before and no gobbles, and they come in the same place the next morning and they're lighting up. Yeah. So it's basically. <clears throat> would you say the best time is like after the sun sets, but before it gets? I would say dark. it's yeah. like just before it gets dark. That's yeah. the, when I've had the most success is like literally the, the, the very last couple yeah, minutes hour, before yeah. it's going to get, that's when, and, and I'll, I'll hoot and it might just be one gobble and I'll try it again and nothing. So, but at least I know, I know they're there. I know roughly, hopefully if, I mean, depending on how close they are, I can sometimes pinpoint like, okay, if I know the area and I know the terrain, I might know like where that bird's roosting and then the next morning I can sneak in there and see that that's another hot tip for scouting is know the area well. So if you can pinpoint that gobble that when that when it gobbles, yeah, you know how to get in there. Yeah, you know what it looks get, like and you know how to access it and you, you might know by looking at like I use on X a lot, by looking at on X I might be able to predict a, like I can just say like, okay, it was over here, and I look at my on X. I'm like, oh, he's roosting on that point. You know, he's out on that point, so I at least know where to start. And and you find that the gobblers like the like to go on those points. Absolutely, yeah. That's oftentimes where, where they can be heard the farthest. You know, yeah, because they're trying to project their sound. Yep. to to attract the hens. So then there's there's a lot of strategy to like, okay. How close can I get? So you know if you're lucky enough to roost one the night before and you're going to try and get in there the next morning, then it's, okay, how close can I get without bumping them, right? And so that's like earlier is better. So the sooner you can get in and then there's some things that happen. Like if it's dry out and the leaves are crunchy, then it's like you might not be able to get as close. If it's just rained and it's nice and wet and damp and you're in hemlocks where it's dark and so yeah. there's a lot of factors. How much moonlight is there? How mm-hmm. much cover is there? What kind of area are you in? So there's, there's a lot, a lot of factors. But you definitely don't want to bump them off the roost. No, then, you don't. Then you're but screwed. <laughs> if I know they're in there, I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive than I would. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've had times where, like, I'm taking my headlamp, my headlamp and, you know, like how they usually have, like, the red setting. Yeah. And then they have, like, the, you know, white light. I'm on the red setting and I'm covering like with my finger, the red light, just letting a little crack of light, you know what I mean? And I'm walking in complete dark, just with that little tiny little crack of light, just trying to just, and I'm going slow. just like barely, barely moving. I don't want to break any sticks. I don't want to be rustling leaves. Some of the best mornings I've had too, are just like, I'll be trying to get close and not realize there's other turkeys. Mm-hmm. And I've had where I like sat down and then as it's getting light and the birds in front of me, I've had birds beside me. I've had behind birds you, above me, up right directly above you, right yeah. behind me. Like some of my best hunts have been that way where it's, you've got closer than you really probably should have, but you know, it, it worked well, and you got away it. with yeah, it. That, I mean, you I know. can think of at least three different times where that's happened to me where like literally gone out the night before 
Al hooted, one gobbles. I mean, I, I know he's there. I don't know exactly where he's at. And ended up literally right underneath him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not intentionally, like, just, yeah. but, and then he, it gets light, and I'm like, oh, geez, he's right there. And just flies down. And We boom. had, <laughs> this is a good, sto- good story, like, we had this bird my, um, with my dad when I was maybe, like, in high school. And every morning, I don't know, for maybe like four or five mornings in a row, we hunted this bird and it would like fly down and talking about that going away from you. My dad started calling it the 180 effect where like the the hens would lead the gobbler off. And so, you know, I don't know, remember if it was the fifth morning, sixth morning, whatever. It'd been a bunch of mornings in a row where that same thing had happened. He'd have to go to work. I'd have to go to school. So finally, my dad's like, <clears throat> well, I want you to go and wherever he gobbles, you're going to go and get as close as you can to him. And I'm going to go 180 degrees away from you. And I'm just going to call loud and obnoxious and just carry on a ruckus. Push right? him back to yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And so I got in and I, I got as close as I dared and I sat down and all of a sudden I hear a hen yelp like right behind me. And I'm thinking like, perfect. And this bird starts gobbling and I could actually see him up in a tree strutting at like 60, 70 yards. And he like pitched down out of the tree. My dad's yelping and carrying it up a storm and he's gobbling. And he like comes right, the hen's behind me. And he like comes in right to me. It's like 35 yards, pull up, pow, missed him. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it was one of those situations though. I like, I got closer than I probably should have, but it worked out. And so I'd say like, I mean, it's definitely is an advantage if you can get close. So, but you definitely just don't want to spook them, but sometimes that happens. So some, some other strategies, some things that I learned while hunting with Jeremy is you typically want to set uphill from the bird. They they like to travel uphill. They don't really like to go. And I I think there's some truth to that. And sometimes uh, I think that, it's not all. It's not always the case, right? But I think in, ge- in general, the, in like I can think of a time when I uh, um, there was a bird that I had I had hunted a bird in an evening and had him pretty hot and um, just ultimately didn't end up getting him. This was when like Pennsylvania first started the the evening season, and uh, so I started out in that area the next morning where I had last heard him um, and nothing, but I could hear this bird gobbling all the way down the bottom of the hill, across the road, and up on the other side. And so it was, like, daunting because I had just gone up to the top of this hill on the one side. I'm thinking, like, oh, my gosh, there's got to – he's this is a, must be another one that I'm hearing. Like, there's there's got to be a bird on my side. And I waited and waited and waited. And it was really light, and there was no other goblin on my side of the hill. So I went all bombed all the way down to the bottom of the road, come back up the road, and he was already on the ground. And I'm below him, and I'm thinking, like – I really don't want to go get above him and I'm calling and he's pretty hot, but I just like, seems like he just won't come in close enough. Right. So finally I'm like, all right, quit being lazy. So I circled around, got above him and no sooner did I do that. And he was gobbling right where I had just left from. And I'm thinking like, unbelievable, you know, but at that point I knew I just needed to call one or two more times and he was like he was by himself right and he was he was gonna come i just need to be patient and so i just called a couple times and i was like quiet shut up and sure enough he like i got really lucky i was in a super thick spot and 
he actually kind of circled around me a little bit and I actually heard him alarm. I like had moved. I'm trying to look. I didn't have a tree even. I'm like such thick cover. It's like not even a, a sapling big enough to sit against. I'm kind of just in this little hole and I hear an alarm putt to my left, hard left. And I was able to like just swing and, and shoot him. But you got that one. I got that one. <laughs> there's one. Yeah, there's one. <laughs> it's the only but, turkey he's ever killed. But point being, that bird came downhill like easily, right? I mean, he would have, if I was just patient on the previous setup, I would have killed him the first time. So, but again, and that's where a bird without hens makes you, you know, think you're smart or think you're good, right? It's like if, if they don't have hens in general, like you can probably make some mistakes and call too much. It doesn't matter. Like, you have such a better chance. Generally, so. I'm trying to get even with them. I'm either trying to get even with them or above them. I don't like to be below, but and, I'm okay being, yeah. if I'm on, you know, level playing field with them, I'm okay. If I'm above them, I'm great. But I don't really usually like to be below them. I, I don't know what all's to it, but it just seems like if you're flying, right? Like it seem, you know, if you're coming down out of the roost, it'd be easier to just, like you're saying, like, land even elevation or even just it's a shorter flight right to just turkeys maybe aren't the most super graceful flyers all the time right so it's easier to just pitch down and land uphill than it is to like go bomb and I mean, we have some pretty steep terrain around here right so it's like are they going to bomb way downhill and no probably not right like it just makes sense that it'd be easier to fly down even elevation or or up a little bit so I think they do it for safety. There's been a lot yeah, of times so I mean, where yeah. they get as high as they can, so if they do need to fly, they can fly away. That could be better, yeah. Yeah. easier. Maybe. There's been a lot of times where I've regretted like down low or setting up yeah. somewhere and thought to myself, "Man, if I was, why did I do that? I, if I was just a little bit higher, if I was, you know, I had the opportunity to go higher and I didn't go higher. Why didn't I? You know what I mean? So I feel like when I can, I'm going to get above them. Good to know. You talked about setting up where it was real thick and you got busted, but you were able to get the shot off. Do you do you try to to set up where there's more? I, th- I guess you'd want to set up more where there's an opening, so you could get a shot. But yeah, you don't I think, want too open though. Yeah, too open. You get picked off easily, and they're just they're able to see. You know, what I mean, they can see if they can see all this open area, then they should be able to, be, to see the hen. It's supposed to you be know a hen, I mean? right? So why would they come? Yeah, and I think. Uh, that was a tip I saw on a, on a video, you know, on YouTube or something. This guy was saying how, like, when you first hear bird gobble, if let's just say you've been hunting and whatever, the first setup didn't work, which is almost always, right? Like in the first thing in the morning, not almost always, but a lot of the times it doesn't work your first setup, right? So then the bird goes off and you hear him gobbling and you're going to reset up again. Um, if you hear a bird gobble, like... You, you usually have a little bit more time than you feel rushed, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I got to get, get set up. I got to sit down, right? Especially if you haven't heard a gobble in a while, you've been walking around and you all of a sudden, boom, you get a bird to gobble. Yeah. And then you start making bad decisions and you, you sit you get somewhere. Rushed and you just make a bad decision. You just sit down, find the first place to sit down. Whereas if you take just a little bit of time, like the guy was saying, the first thing he does is he turns around and looks the other way from where the bird gobbled and looks back behind him to say, okay, is there a tree behind me where I could... You know, so then you then you're seeing what the turkey's gonna see when he comes in, right? So you're gonna look behind you and see, okay, yeah, that tree there. I can put a little brush. I can move a twig. I can move a like you know branch or something, and kind of use that as a little bit of cover. So that's something I've been trying to do is just like realize I have a little bit more time than 
take that Maybe second think. or two to yeah. actually think it out and plan it out rather than just plopping down somewhere and then being like, oh, this is stupid. This Why is, did I see yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. I can't swing my gun. I can't, you know what I mean? I think, I mean, it's like a lot of things, right? It's just you're going to get experience with. The more time you're out there, the more the more you learn. Exactly. Or the more you realize how much you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a... Uh, it's a game with hindsight's twenty twenty for sure. Okay, so with setting up, you want to break up your outline. Just yeah. like deer hunting, you want to break up your outline, yeah. sit in front of a big tree. or Yeah, get... I'm looking for a tree that's probably at least as wide as my shoulders to break up my outline or, or some kind of brush. It doesn't have to necessarily be a tree, but usually it's a tree because I want to sit up against something. And that could, could be, be a while. That could be a little bit of safety too. So, like, if, I mean, if there's other hunters out there and if you got a backstop, like – if you got a bird goblin in front of you, depending on where you're at, and yeah, that's you got a nice solid tree behind you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> makes you feel a little safer. But with with that, you want to be in full camo because, like we were talking about, the eyesight of a turkey. And I, I opened up where turkey sees; they have a field of vision of about 270 degrees, where we have 180, and but what I was talking about, the rods and cones, they have seven different kinds of photoreceptors. One rod, four single cones, and two double cones. So they see a broader spectrum of colors. So they see color better than us, and they can also see an ultraviolet. Is that why some camo has like the UV coating on it or whatever? Yeah, you don't want to use, because there's some laundry detergents that have brighteners in them. And what that is, it's it's like UV. Right. So okay. I don't know if you'd be glowing per se to a turkey, but it would definitely, it would be a change, yeah. a change in the surroundings. You know, a dull color versus a a bright a brighter color. So humans have one rod and three single cones. So we only have four different kinds of photoreceptors, where the turkey has seven different kinds. So that's why they they have. One of the reasons why they, they they have better eyesight. So camo is important. And uh, we got some Allen gloves and neck gaiters. Yeah, I'm liking, this, uh, liking this neck gaiter. Yeah, it has a spawn in there. You can put your mouth mouth calls right, right there, easy access. The gloves are the same way they have it. I need that because I lose my mouth calls all the time. I end up putting them in my pockets, and then they get shoved down in there, and I can't find them. And- yeah, I, I like the shocker gloves because you can put the call right in the back. There's pockets right in the back of the hand. Makes You're good it, for COVID season too. Wear those into the store. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do we have to talk about? Pattern, what? pattern your shotgun, right, Corey? Right. Yes. So I didn't do that last year at the start of the season, and you did or did not? I did not oh. at the at preseason. I did okay. not, and I had to. I won um, a Mossberg 835 in a gun raffle a long time ago, and I had never taken it turkey hunting. It has a scope on it, so I took the scope off, and I was just using the bead. But when that turkey came in, I I think there's several reasons why I missed that turkey. But one of them was because nervous, were you? That might have been it. I felt like the turkey spooked for some reason. Couldn't have been. 
Tony's phone going off. I don't know. <laughs> was that, wasn't that a story? Like no, I was, was... Uh, I was trying to video, and it was just like first light, right? And these birds come in, and like I, I hit hit record, and the and the light came on the phone. <laughs> oh, like because it was so dark, like the flash. flash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. So. But yeah, Corey forgot to take the Doesn't mount. Doesn't matter what kind of no, camo you have no, on if well, you're running. Well, yeah, I had the the rail on for <laughs> the scope. He forgot to take the mount off, so he couldn't really see down the rib. <laughs> but no, the point is, is like you should you should pattern right. So yeah, I mean you shouldn't sort of know where you know not sort of you should know where your gun's gonna hit. So you should I, know if you still have the rib on. Well, I did know it. I couldn't <laughs> get it. I think it's locked tighted on there. I couldn't oh. get it off. I think. The point is, is if you would have patterned it, you would have. Yeah, I would have left the scope on. Right, and, and, right. And after way, the, yeah. the next day, or was it the next I day? Missed, yeah. I I patterned my shotgun. I missed a lot of turkeys like over the years, and it seems like you shouldn't miss them. Like you're shooting a shotgun has a pretty good pattern. Like there should be no excuse. But, but there's some science to it that I didn't until last year after the miss and talking with you about what I needed to do to pattern, there's a, there's a science to it. There's different things you need to do. No, I mean, I think, so I think if you're going to use a, like, I like the idea of using a red dot or a scope of some sort of, I don't know. I mean, but a lot of guys would say that's nonsense. You don't need that much. That's fine. As long as you pattern and you are confident in whatever you're going to use. So I think if, you know, it's like, a, I don't know, I feel like it's because it's a shotgun, you feel like, oh, I don't need to practice, right? It's a, it's a shotgun. I'm, how am I going to miss, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that you can miss a turkey very easily. Oh, so, when you start looking at some of the patterns that these guns throw with tight, you know, number fours. Well, I'm saying, no, oh, not yeah. tight. You okay, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. people go out with a shotgun yep. thinking, oh, this is... Yep. This is going to be okay. And then they shoot it on paper and they're like, oh, well, there's gaps everywhere. There's... Yep. So the BBs are so far apart and you, you were patterning your shotgun tonight Yeah, and you brought some of your, your targets. Let's go a little more in depth with this, but yeah, when I was doing it last year, I took an, uh, five gallon bucket, drew a circle on a piece of paper, went back to 35 yards, got a nice solid rest and shot at the middle, put my scope my crosshairs on the middle of that and shot and i adjusted base i got a big piece of paper so i could see which way the pattern was going where the the bulk of the bbs were hitting and i adjust my scope to move that bulk into the center and when i got a hundred bbs inside that 10 inch circle 10 inch circle yep and it seemed to be Centered. Centered, yep. I, I said 35 yards yep. is my... And you can make that centering as scientific as you want to make it. Your eyes are a pretty good judge, I think, in seeing where it's at. Or you can grid it off. That's sort of what I've kind of been doing here the last couple of years is I make make a 10-inch circle, make a 20-inch circle, and then I just draw crosshairs through it and count how many are in each quadrant. So you get like little pieces of pie and you just... I think it's a good way to do it if you want to. So get, we can see if it's balanced. Yep, exactly. You can get pretty scientific about it if you want. So, but I think the basic message is, is if you're gonna, obviously, if you use a red dot, then you can. That's the advantage is that if your gun does pattern left or right or up or down a little bit, you can adjust. 
for that versus Whereas with a bead yeah. you're doing kentucky windage you're which compensating and yeah. that's never good no so but if you know what you have then you can repeatedly you know you can do it then that's i mean there's a simple the nice part about using a bead is it's simple right like there's nothing to fail there's no battery run out and but you just need to practice and know where your gun's going to hit. And know what the best load is. Know what the best load is and what gives your gun the best pattern. So, And there can be, you know, some guns will shoot better dirty. Some guns will shoot better clean. Um, you can try with different loads. So, I mean, the new rage in turkey hunting is is this TSS, which I've kind of bought in for, like, youth-wise. Like, we're talking about Jeremy. And I had my son out three years ago and he missed a bird and um, we were using number fives, three inch lead. And I, mean, I was showing you guys that pattern I had with number five, three inch lead, and it's pretty poor at 35 yards, maybe two or three in the kill. He's using a 20 gauge. 20 gauge. And, and so this TSS, this tungsten super shot, that stuff is basically with number nines. Which is a lot smaller tiny pellet pellet you can you can shoot you know a ton more pellets in a in a sub gauge in a 20 or i mean there's guys so it's just way more dense way more dense i mean it's it's like 18 grams per centimeter cube versus lead is like i think it's 11 and a half or 12 so i mean it's almost 50 percent more dense and so with the smaller pellet too you get better penetration and there's less wind resistance so ballistically it's better so basically like the number nine shot with tss is as good or better than number five lead um and so you know for sub gauge shotguns it's in my opinion it's it's the way to go downside it's expensive it's expensive it's very expensive especially now oh yeah it's like six bucks around the other day oh yeah it was like Six dollars a round or something like that. Yeah, or even maybe more. Seven. You turned me onto those uh, Winchester Longbeard long beard XRs. Yeah, I think that's what I'm using right yeah. now. Yeah, I yeah. like those a lot. Feels like if you're shooting a 12 gauge, you don't really need the TSS. You know, those Longbeard XR. It's got this like liquid buffer in it, and it's some pretty incredible patterns you can get out of a 12 gauge. Yeah, and yeah, I'm my using a like three and a half inch mag. The thing knocks you on your butt. Yeah. So. Do you guys all have Magnum shotguns? You guys shooting? I shoot two, a three and a half or threes. I shoot a three and a half. I've I've been using my son's twenty gauge. I take him out until he gets one, and then I just use his gun. So with the TSS, it's I mean it's yeah. I like carrying around the light like smaller shotgun, and it's all, it's nice for if you're running and gunning and trying to cover ground. So if if any of our listeners out there are successful this year. Um, we have, or Ryan and Emily Long of The Way We Hunt has a, they have a how to clean video. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, so take a look at that before you go out so you have an idea what you're doing. Um, but now let's move to, you got your, you got your turkey, you did your scouting, you did your shot patterning, you did everything right, and you got a turkey on the ground, you cleaned it. Now we're cooking it. Um, there's a couple recipes that, that I like to do. Um, the meat eater put out a Chick-fil-A copycat recipe for 
turkey nuggets and you marinate them in pickle juice and then you you deep fry them i have a i really really enjoy that recipe that's good with the chick-fil-a sauce and then don't leave your legs and thighs in the woods because hank shaw has an awesome turkey carnita recipe uh that you use use the legs and thighs for him so i highly recommend that recipe we'll put those in the show notes um what do your do you guys have i'm a big fan of that yeah, turkey just, carnita yeah we second we third all, that one yeah we like, all cook that one it's yeah, like we've i couldn't all, believe it every single year we're cooking that yep it's uh, I couldn't believe I was thrown away. I mean, for years it was. Ter- I know it was terrible, but we just like cut the yeah, breast out. Yeah, just assume they're inedible and yeah. or difficult. They're to cook so tough, and, and they're not gonna be any good to eat. But man, you yeah. showed us that, and I mean, it literally just falls right apart. It's good. We also have some uh, recipes on the Harvest in Nature website. Uh, I believe. Uh, one of our contributors, Elsie Hunter, put out a turkey and white wine persini fricassee recipe. So check that one out. And then our other, uh, another field staff writer, Sean West, has a wild turkey ravioli with brown butter sage sauce. So those, those are some very good looking recipes. We'll have to, maybe if I'm successful this year, I'll, I'll try one of those. Um, is there any? Any other any other things you like to? I'm excited about this uh, Chick Fil A copycat. I'm gonna try. I that. think I tried that. Maybe. Yeah. I think you. I think you told me about that last year, and I think I tried it. It was pretty good. And I, that pickle juice. Yeah. Is the key to that. Yeah, it tasted just like a like a Chick Fil A sandwich because they always put the pickles on them. Yeah, it's delicious. I was just wondering what a fricassee is. Fricassee. Let's see here. It's fricassee. I, I think a Bugs Bunny for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Taffy duck. So the fricassee, potatoes, olive oil, thyme, salt, pepper, butter, cheese. But the fricassee is you use the turkey breasts, olive oil, salt, pepper, mushrooms, uh, bell pepper, onion, flour, white wine, broth, some lemon, sugar, egg yolks. Heavy cream, parsley, thyme, garlic, butter, and so pretty much your whole refrigerator, <laughs> right? Is in this fricassee. So it sounds pretty good. You dredge, you dredge, right. dredge the breasts in uh, flour, and you brown them in in a skillet, and then you put them put them with some with the potatoes. I'll be up for that meal when you make it, Corey. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> sounds I, delicious. I mean, there's. I mean the rest. The ingredient list is is kind of long, but it's nothing crazy. Most most of the stuff I think a lot of people would have in their in their pantry. I think the main thing I would have to buy are the mushrooms. There's porcini and button mushrooms that you put in there, but well, we could go crazy and harvest some mushrooms out of the forest. Pick some more we doing. Yeah, yeah, well, I've never Tis found the season. Yeah, I never found morel. I got to go looking for leeks. Yeah, it's leek season. Yeah. But I, I don't trust myself looking for mushrooms. No, it's it's a lot of. I, know I feel like that's you better know your mushrooms, otherwise you you're gonna be in trouble. Yeah. What was your tip? Rangefinder. If you're an archery hunter and you have a rangefinder, that's uh, that was one I that was a new one that I screwed up last year. So I've missed turkeys for all kinds of reasons. I've 
been doing that the last not not so much last year the year before like three four years ago i was in that same boat because it was early season and up here you know there's no vegetation so you got these birds coming in especially if you're in like public land where you got big open hardwood yeah it can be tough to know yeah this this bird i missed last year it was in that snowstorm it was the day Corey killed a bird you guys had texted me oh got one i'm like oh <laughs> i've been like i was like six miles in at that point i'm like well i'm just gonna go until we're out of time and uh literally there's snow on the ground i'm up in this like super steep stuff i'm coming along and i hear like calling every 100 200 yards and i call and i'm like bird hammers and i had like nowhere to go it was wide open where i was at big mature hardwoods but i'm at like the bottom of this like real steep drop off and he's like just on top of it. So I was like, I'm not gonna be able to circle around. I didn't really have any choice but to just basically sit down where I was at. And uh, I was in like kind of just like a little bit of a bowl and this bird like hammers and hammers and I was just like stubborn and not calling anymore. Just called a little bit and finally he like breaks down off the edge of this bowl and he's like turns the commit to drop down into it. And I'm like, I had a log in mine that I thought was like 40 yards and he like comes right up to that log and I'm thinking close enough. I shot and missed him. I come back later with my range finder, brought my dog cause it seemed like I might've rolled him and wanted to make sure if maybe I could like find him, you know? So yeah, I brought my range finder and it was like 52 yards. So I was, you know, off by quite a bit. So, I, I mean, this is like a, another lesson learned. It's like, I have a range finder. Why not bring it with me and check the range? And so, yeah, bring your range finder. Hot tip. I think it's easy to get sucked in right now too. I feel like there's a lot of talk about shooting turkeys at longer ranges. Yeah. And I feel like. 40 know, yards is a good, I think it's like, if you, especially if you pattern and you know, but like, I think 40 yards is a good is a good goal, right? Like try not to shoot yeah, more than 40 no yards. Yeah, more than 40 yards. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, it's like, that's part of the challenge of it, right? Is getting close. Like, and then they, by the time they get to 40 yards, that's, it's super exciting. Yeah. Like, so it's worth the wait. And sometimes I feel like your setup can kind of help you out too. Like if you're hunting on a top, you know, you can get, over to the edge close enough so that when they when pop they up crest over. and they pop up, yep. you're within that range rather than setting yep. up back towards the middle, you know, and then they've got to come and commit and they've got to come all the way across there. If you can just get them so that they pop up to see what's on the top and then, you know, you see a beard and you can yep. kill them at 30 yards rather pre -range, than... Which is nice is obviously you're not going to be like ranging the turkey generally speaking as it comes in but yeah. ranging the tree or yeah. rock or mm -hmm. stuff exactly or and then you got an idea where you gotta wait so we like to end this show with um a last thought so i'll just like i'm dealing cards jeremy do you have a, a last thought How about on a favorite turkey hunt yeah what yeah what's your favorite turkey hunt mm, favorite turkey hunt Maybe I'll go second. Tony, you got <laughs> one that sticks out in my mind. It actually wasn't a spring gobbler hunt. It was a fall turkey hunt. But we were talking about hunting in the 90s and how many turkeys there were. And 
we used to hunt over in Potter County, um, out of uh, a hunting camp over there. And that day, I mean, I don't know, fall turkey hunting, you would think like, like right now, like if we went out as a group of six guys, how many people were going to kill a turkey? You know, you probably one or two, all six of us killed a turkey that day. I mean, so like, it just shows you like there was a ton of turkeys. That's crazy. It was, that's awesome. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was of course the last one to kill one (laughs) and it was like late afternoon by the time I think I missed like two that day, but yeah, like I finally got one, like, and that was a six bird. So. It's awesome. a pretty cool hunt, yeah. Probably my favorite hunt. Like, I'm torn because I've been lucky, and like I said, and my son's got two birds, and so those are definitely really awesome and memorable, but maybe I'll give the nod to my dad and grandpa on this one. So um, my first bird I ever killed, so I mentioned that I missed two that year, and that was, like, really devastating. We were crying and just, I mean, being absolutely upset. And the bird I finally killed, it was the last day. Me and my dad were out in the morning. We're out. I remember like one of the few times my dad's ever been upset with me. And it was like I was like complaining because I was hot and thirsty. And like, you know, it's the end of May. And we had hiked a long ways and hadn't heard anything all morning. Um, and so it was like 10, 1030. And we went home. And you know, this is before the days of cell phones and text messages and all that crap. So we got home and one of my dad's good friends, it was a big turkey hunter. He had stopped at our house and he, he'd had to go like way out of his way to come to our house. Like it wasn't like on his way home or something. He like had come to our house and he told my little sister that your bird's at the gas well. And there was just a spot where I had missed these turkeys that year and we had like after I missed the second one in there, it seemed like there wasn't a whole lot of goblin left going on in there. And so we'd kind of like given up on that spot. Well, my dad's buddy was out that morning and just had happened to stop by there and listen and heard a bird goblin. He went in, called a bird in. I don't, who knows if it was the same bird or not, but had called a bird in and felt like guilty that he was in our spot. Didn't shoot it. And so he left went back to our house and told my little sister who's what's the chances of like at the time my sister would have been like eight i was 12 what's the chances of an eight-year-old remembering and i don't even know why she was home alone or my mom was busy with something whatever but so she had you know this guy mel dinger had told my my dad told my little sister hey your bird's at the gas well and so my dad's like, you know, we get home, it's 1030. I had just been whining and saying I was thirsty and tired. And he's like, I'm like, let's go, you know? And he's like, no, we're not going out. He's like, there's no chance. We, you know, we're not going to hear that bird. And I'm like, come on, let's go. We got to go. You know? So we got out and it's like a little after 11. We go down in this spot. We set up. My dad makes a few calls, nothing. Makes a few calls, nothing. So we're just standing up to leave. My dad's like, oh, do you hear that? I'm like, I didn't even hear it, right? My dad's like, oh, yeah, bird just gobbled. So he's and we're talking about like late morning goblin. It was like he didn't call anymore. And sure enough, here comes this bird up. And uh, ended up being like one of the biggest birds I ever killed. Had, like 10 and a half inch beard, inch and 16th or inch and eighth spurs. And it was almost 20 pounds still on the last day. So nice. it's pretty, uh, pretty super exciting for your first turkey kill. So perseverance too that's what it's all about it's yeah. like sticking to it sticking to it tyler well i don't have any turkey hunting stories really how about yeah. just a, a, your favorite hunting story well i did i do like to go with uh some of my friends that were actually 
good turkey hunters and doing the scouting thing and, and doing the owl call and listening to them. I, I was like, you know, I was probably 13 or 14. I would go with, with um, their dad. And I'm like, why would a turkey gobble at a, an owl? I could never figure that out for the life of me, but it, it works. Yeah. Especially when owls are like the biggest kit, one of the bigger killers of them. Right? I know. I'm like, kidding. Like, why the hell are they gobbling <laughs> yeah. at them? You know what I mean? Like, I got Get one more story. Here, yeah, I guess. Can I tell hey. one more? Sure. I got one more story for you. So we were over in Potter County, and it was my one buddy. Uh, his dad owns the camp, and we were probably in college, so we were kind of hunting together. And then my dad and his dad were hunting together, and we'd both we'd just like they drop us off in the car over here, and they'd go back over here, and we just basically walk the hillsides, just hoping to bust up a flock. And it wasn't. I mean, we were only in the in the woods a couple hundred yards and here's this huge flock of turkeys and we run at them we bust them all up and they all fly down over the hill and we're like oh and we're like high five and like this is great you know this is going to be perfect so we get all set up and put our masks on and we get all ready to call and here comes these guys up through the woods and i mean this is like backcountry potter county you know what i mean so like these guys are like dressed in like ridiculous clothing for turkey hunting you know what i mean like like no one would ever hunt turkeys in what they were wearing you know like one guy had like yellow gloves on and like just like blaze orange and i mean it was just ridiculous but anyhow so there they were some interesting dudes too so this one guy's like asking us like have you seen my yellow glove and i'm like because he only had one and we're like no dude like we just busted up a flock of turkeys like we're getting ready to call like you know like we haven't seen your glove like no we haven't you know and he was like very persistent that he was gonna you know find this glove and we're like whatever you know like come on get out of here you know the whole time he's standing there he's like doing this weird thing with his head like kind of like looking up in the air and, and like we're like what is this guy doing like and we're just laughing like howling at this guy and my buddy's real good at like impersonations too so he's kind of like impersonating this guy this whole time you know finally they like you know all right well we'll see you later we even invited them like do you want to sit here like and call like we'll call you a bird in like just sit down you know like no that's all right you guys and we're like all right so finally they leave you know it wasn't like i mean they were just down over the hill and my buddy and i are sitting there and we hear and we're like what and we look up and there (laughs) that whole time that guy was looking because there was a turkey sitting directly above us So my buddy just goes like this, boom, and shoots it out of the tree and it falls right next to us. But yeah, the whole time this guy, this guy looking for his yellow glove was like kind of like looking like, hey, like why are you just sitting here waiting to call turkeys? Is there's one sitting right above you? <laughs> and that guy talked to us. We had a whole conversation and that bird never stayed moved. It just time. stayed there the whole time. Yeah. Super smart turkeys are talking about. Uh, yeah. It's like, you know, I've only gotten a couple turkeys in my life. One of them was last year, and that was my first spring gobbler. But back when I was like 12 and 13, I got a couple. And when I was 13, I was with my dad, and we were walking down railroad tracks. And someone must have busted a flock. Because as we're walking down, this one flies right over top of us. He goes, get ready, shoot it. He's like, no, it's it's a bald eagle, don't shoot. And then it, it lands <laughs> on, the, on the bank, and it, it's a turkey. And, you know, I... I take my time and I shoot it and I get it and, it, and, and, uh, the guys that must've busted it came and started talking to us and everything. And, and you could still hear, it's almost, it's almost dark. This is fall turkey hunt. So you could hunt in the, in the evenings 
And so it's almost dark. So we go home and I had school the next day. My dad goes out the next morning to that same area because they um, roosted separately from each other. So he, you know, puts a call in his pocket and gets set up and, you know, takes a call out and then he has to move for whatever reason. And he left his call on the ground, uh, but he moves and then the, the turkeys are starting to, you know, come off the roost and come in. So he, used, he can do a regular mouth call without any diaphragm pretty good. So he called one in with his just his mouth and, and killed one that way. Cool. So I thought that, that was a pretty good pretty story. Cool. But, again, we got our, our stuff from Allen Company. We got the Shocker Series stuff. So we got a uh, a Tom Taker click stick. So it's a shooting stick that uh, breaks down pretty easily. So you can do your running and gunning and set up and not have to hold your gun on your knee. or. And then we got the, the sling that, that goes on your shotgun so it holds a couple shells. And I think, yeah, hold it can hold your mouth diaphragm. And it has a little cover on it too so, so your calls don't fall out of the pockets. What's that over there, Corey? This is... A- oh, that's your... Uh, what is it? Uh- this is the Game Keep... Gamekeeper Field Combo Pack. So it is a uh, zip skinny knife, a fixed replaceable blade knife, and um, a saw. So I hope to put that to use. And then we got the Shocker Series gun case, which has some sweet stuff on it. It has multiple pockets you can put... You don't care if Tony makes some mods to your uh, uh, well, we trigger stick here, or your shooting stick, do you? Yeah. So uh, the case is awesome because it has pockets galore, and then it has a ruler to check your spurs oh, and your beard. That's pretty neat. And then I think it comes off like it's velcro too yeah, i don't know if you can stick the oh okay beard in there i'm not really sure what that yeah i think you could just take that off and take it with you honey yeah you know what i mean like put oh, it in your yeah, vest and then just have yeah. to take it with you and then the gloves have uh pockets on the back of the hand so you can put your your um mouth calls in there and then you have the pack yeah and that it's uh what's it called a run and gun it's the uh cut and run cut pack. and run so it has spots for your box calls, some extra shells, uh, mouth calls, and then a couple zippered pockets. Yep. So it's a nice compact pack uh, to take out there. Oh, it's got a magnet too. I like yeah, that. magnet. Yeah, magnet to keep everything quiet. That's no, pretty sweet. no zipper no pockets. Zippers and... and then we got a a nice folding turkey stool that you can take in take in the woods with you. It'll be good for kids. Yeah. Keep them up off the ground. Yep. I like to use, uh, Alan has a, it's their Vanish series. They have a butt pad. I take that everywhere. It's it's quiet. It's nice, soft pad. to keep my butt dry when I sit on the ground. We also have the Wild Turkey Life Cycle shirt on the website. So What's check that? those out. It is shirt, turkey shirt, t-shirt. Why is it called life cycle? Because it it had shows the life cycle of the turkey. So, oh, okay. oh I get it. Okay. So the wild wild turkey life cycle Aww. shirt 
is shows what eggs and then goes poults. from eggs to poults to hey, so what came first young the birds turkey or the egg? <laughs> there's a gobbler on here and then the last one is like a roasting turkey like oh right out of the oven <laughs> so go go check those out as always the show notes will be online so any of the links or information that we talked about during the show you can uh, get to those in the show notes so wasn't uh, Ben Franklin a big fan of the wild turkey? Like, yeah, he wanted it to make, instead of the, the bald national. eagle, he wanted it to make, make it our national bird. Yeah. So head over to social media, follow Harvesting Nature on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Like, subscribe, <laughs> and review this. That was the most random comment ever. So... <laughs> Didn't Ben Franklin like the turkey? Like, <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, do this offline and add it in. Uh, I think people would like uh, that. Think, yeah. yeah. Little little knowledge there. A little tidbit. Yeah. Nugget of trivia. Tidbit, yeah. tidbit of information in the middle of your spiel. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think Ben Franklin liked the wild turkey? Please leave us a review. Tell, tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Comments in the middle of the speech is probably wrong. (laughs) I'm sorry. I apologize. (laughs) Have a good night. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm ill there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.